Hello and welcome back to Castle Rock Critical in what is a massive project we have undertaken and that is reviewing The Stand both in book and in 1994 miniseries form. Right, well, uh, don't let that sway what we think of it because you might be surprised. I'm joined by the whole gang, minus one, Lucy couldn't be here today, in what is sure to be a very, very controversial podcast. Mm. Firstly... We have our very own prophet and visionary, at least when it comes to Stephen King books, our own mother Abigail, Emma. Thy will be done, Lord. Hello. Now, a man who needs no introduction. He can't read, can't act, and I'm baffled as to how this simple-minded fellow survived. It's our very own Tom Cullen, John. (laughs) M-O-O-N spells hello. (laughs) Oh, lovely. And of course, joining us from another sort of apocalyptic wasteland in Australia, it's our faithful, horny, dweeby companion that will eventually turn on us all, Harold, or as we call him, Gaz. That's the worst one. Why did you pick the worst one? He he definitely is the worst one. Um, And as the obvious leader of the group, I shall be Stu because, you know, I'm leading the group to prosperity and rebuilding civilization. No, you're that guy that just dies that no one knows at the beginning of episode two. We'll get, oh, on, that one. We'll get on to him. Yes. Um, however, as is tradition, I will read Rotten Tomatoes' synopsis of the 1994 miniseries The Stand. And this is what they had to say, the general consensus. Based on Stephen King's magnum opus of a novel, The Stand delivers six hours of vintage denim, questionable special effects, and an all-star cast battling the forces of good and evil. Very good synopsis. That's a great synopsis. I love that synopsis. Whoever wrote that at Rotten Tomatoes, very well done. So this was a lot of work. Six hours of TV magic and a 26-hour <laughs> read of the novel. Let's kick things off in what I know will be a rage of anger with John's thoughts because he's been whatsapping me his angry thoughts that i've made him watch this show let's go john give me a synopsis and for anyone listening for the first time give me blueberries and tell us how the blueberry system works right um so bloobs you can have five blueberries or you can have zero blueberries Mm, we can have no half blueberry because that makes no sense zero sense if anything um much like most of this series to be honest yes it's a shame that we're not doing it by episode. I mean, yeah, we could have done, but I think <clears throat> we, we took a lot of work on here to do it all in one go. Yeah, but I no, think... no, I'm, I'm glad we're not, because yeah. like, I want to get this done as soon as possible. Oh, God. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a one it's a one blueberry. Um, I thought it... you'd be bringing out the zero, John. I was worried. Well, no, so uh, this is why I'm talking about episodes. So... Uh, I, I could zero it. I, I really could. And and so episode three, that is a catastrophe. Like that, that is the sort of thing you would play students um, at uh, at film school um, for like screenplay writers. That episode is a catastrophe. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, um, that's verging on minus loops like yeah it's, it's an it's insult. impossible but it's yeah. an insult yeah um <laughs> you it, should see the whatsapp messages it's uh i, I just uh, i'm just speechless it's, it's almost offensive at points the, the fact that you get um uh, a deaf character slaps the shit out of some woman and and that is like, <laughs> and you're like okay so yay i think or... i was shocked at that moment that's so out of his character i loved it but i think i just think that was i, I think that was just rob Lowe. I think he just had enough of it. He had enough. They went, just leave it in. 
Um, <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible TV series. Um, certainly the worst TV series I've I've ever seen. Um, wow. Uh, it's just I, I'm speechless, man. I'm okay. like so I'm gonna, disappointed. I'm going to let you be speechless. I'm going to pass it over to our little buddy in Australia, Gareth, who I think really enjoyed this series. Well, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm angry that I'm angry at you for a start for making us watch this. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm. I'm angry. I'm angry at the world, though, as well, because before we started watching it, I did. I did go onto IMDb, and I thought, hmm, all right, like mid nineties. It's getting a seven point two on IMDb. This has got to be pretty good. And <laughs> yeah, I genuinely like halfway through episode three, I was like, I must have watched the wrong one. I've, I've watched the wrong <laughs> one. It's so fucking stupid. There is the 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 constant exposition over things that don't need to be exposed is ridiculous and the constant skipping over things that definitely need to be explained to us is unbelievable like they spend time they spend genuine time showing us how some sausages get from a barbecue onto a table yeah. and they explain it they're like yeah. oh brilliant this is food coming to us now i'm really hungry i can't wait to eat it right they tell us that what they don't tell us is how did society rearrange itself and elect a leader and some sort of council in the space of a few days? They decided, oh, yeah, we'll skip over that. Oh, and also these people are married. Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, the acting is shambolic from some people who actually have some acting history. Like then Rob Lowe, excellent actor. What is he wow. doing in this? What is he doing <laughs> yeah. in this? Uh, oh, Ed Harris it, is in it. You've I'm got, sorry. Um, Ed Harris you know, you've got is some in amazing it. actors in here. Although, to be fair, I think Ed Harris is uncredited, and that yes. was probably the smartest decision <laughs> of his life. He asked, he asked not to be credited and hoped that no one recognised him. <laughs> he asked to be removed from the credits. I better blueberry it, and um, I'm sorry, mate, but it is a one, one blueberry. Right, so what, another one. <laughs> this is so fast scoring an average of one. Mm. Throwing it over to our own Mother Abigail, someone who has battled her demons in some respects, not Jesus. just not just Randall Flagg, to, so to read this book, John, to All read right. this book in <laughs> time. No, it's not a personal attack. I would never do that live. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> behind, not true. Behind closed doors. Um, no, but she's battled some demons to read the book in time to to get you know ready for this podcast, as well as watching the six, just over six hour mini series. Emma, I want your take on, uh, you can have two blueberry scores. You can blueberry okay. the the miniseries and you can blueberry the book. Go. Oh, so I finished reading this at 4am this morning um, because I didn't want to miss the chance to uh, rip the TV series to shreds. And unfortunately, mm. I can't do that um, in terms of its comparison to the book. So the, the book itself is fucking mammoth. It's a gigantic book. I've never read anything so big, ever. I read A Little Life quicker than that. And like, it's a big old book. Um, but it's bloody great, actually. And it, it is a very different kind of storyline for Stephen King. He His waffly, too much detail, kind of lots and lots of extra information and taking his time over a storyline really works in post-apocalyptic fiction. Yeah. Um the book for me is a four out of five blueberry. Oh, lovely. The show, on the, and Gareth, I think you've used a word that my, my new favourite <clears> description <throat> of this six hour monstrosity, which is shambolic. 
Mm. It, there are two great actors in this. One of them is Gary Sinise, and the other yeah, one is the dog that plays Kojak. Kojak. The rest of them are appalling. Um, however, bar a couple of very odd scenes and mixing around a few characters into groups and, and missing a couple out, it is incredibly um, close to this book, to the point where I was watching the last episode literally just before we did this. Mm. And there are lines that are pulled straight from the book that I read mm, this morning. Yeah. Lazy though, that and in a way. For yeah. that reason only, it gets one blueberry. Oh mm. God! Oh, this wow. is a harsh scoring. <laughs> time to bring you it. You give to... it five, I quit. Time to bring it to the hype man. So, um, as I said, do, it's a lot of work. Do you know, I have fond memories of this piece of television. I remember what my parents were watching it. I was about eight or seven or eight years old, and I was watching it as well. And I remember some of the key scenes when I was re-watching it this time. Mm. So I have a lot of fondness because it reminds me of a very nice time in my life. Uh, however, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say that this is a brilliant piece of television. And I'm not going to say it's well acted, <clears throat> but it did bring me a lot of enjoyment. I was laughing all the time, literally in hysterics <laughs> in my room. It charmed me. Now, I don't think you're meant Why, to be though? laughing. You're not meant to be laughing at this, John. No, the world but is dead. sometimes when you, some, when you watch something and it makes you happy, even if it's shit, it's doing a good job. Mm. I think the ending True. of this is a classic King problem. I thought the ending is so bizarre that it just was awful. <laughs> Um, however, hilarious. And because of the sheer fun I had and lots of moments that made me chuckle, I'm going to give it four blueberries. What? Oh, Four whole blueberries because <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And the thing is, sometimes you've got to put something down to enjoyment mm. over the... Look, I knew it was shit two scenes in. I knew I was in for six hours of shit. But the thing is, if it's <laughs> if it's keeping me engaged and making me have emotional responses to it, fair play. It's people like you, Len, that have led to IMDb's rating system being all over the shop. The, and the, 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 we the, can't rely on it anymore. The thing is... I do remember watching this whole six-hour miniseries with my mum, and she's a big Stephen King fan, and I actually really enjoyed it at the time, and I have fond memories of it now because it made me laugh. If I have an emotional attachment to something, that is completely acceptable. I'm sorry that you don't, and that is completely fine as well. However, everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's not an amazingly well-acted or directed or shot or produced piece of television. However, at the time, and I know this is very cliche, it was quite revolutionary and it was very well-received. I actually went back and checked some of the reviews at the time, and they were genuinely very positive. So (laughs) all I'm going to say is, that's my opinion. That's my opinion. I know you've given it ones across the board, but I have... A little <clears throat> attachment to this uh, source mm. material, to, to, to the miniseries, and uh, that's the way it is. Never change, Len. No, you Never have to like the things you like and hate the things you hate, and that is what it is. So now, we aren't doing a scene-by-scene recap of this, because that would oh, be mental, and John would lose it, because we'd be here uh, till the next time we broadcast. Instead, I've truncated the plot and, you know, scoured the internet uh, to make it into a manageable chunk. Emma, please do jump in with book stuff as and when you fancy. John, hold your <clears> tongue <throat> as much as possible. Gaz, do your usual take forever to say the simplest of points. But before we jump in, <laughs> a quick advert. <sighs> M-O-O-N. Hello there. Yes, another advert. Just to say, we are almost winding down for Christmas. But before we go away for Christmas, I would like you to check out some of our other content. So we have just finished up the Walking Dead series, which was mid-season finale of season nine. It was actually a very good half season of The Walking Dead. So if you are watching that show or catching up on that show, please do check our podcast out. We get together, have some drinks and have a lot of fun with that show because most of the time it's a bit of a joke. Uh, But it has recovered quite well. Just to say as well, 
well, our Castle Rock coverage will be winding down until the new year, mm. which is sad, I know. But when Aww. we return, I'm going to announce it now. When we return, we're going to be covering something that everyone has hopefully seen Ooh. so that there's no problem on anyone just tuning in. And that is we're going to be covering The Shining when oh, we return after the Christmas break. And we will announce on our social channels when that will be probably around mid-January. We are going to be doing our annual end of year review and Christmas special episode, which mm. will be coming out very close to Christmas, probably around the 23rd of December. And that is where we all get together, discuss our favourite Christmas films, our highlights of the year and what we're looking forward to in the following year. So that's what's coming up here at Fan Critical and Castle Rock Critical. We would very much appreciate if you subscribe. We're on TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, all of the podcast apps. Uh, and thanks for listening to us this year. It has been amazing. Now, back to The Stand and the rest of the podcast. So, guys, this is how it's going to work. I'm going to read chunks of the plot. Feel free to interject or tap me at any point when you want to say something. Oh, I'm, I'm interested to find out what the plot was, to be honest. Very good, very good point, John. Well, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it out for all of us so everyone can remember, mm-hmm. okay? And then we're going to jump in with some book comments as well and have a little bit of fun because it sounds like this is going to be a fun one. So, mm. on June 13th, at a top-secret government laboratory in rural California, a weaponized version of influenza is accidentally released. <laughs> right, this guy, can we just go to this guy, this guard... <clears throat> This is where the garbage truly begins. That's hard. Who is this guy? Mm. He has just sacrificed the whole of humanity. Now, Emma, question for you. In the book, is this anything to do with flag? Is he sort of, is he meddling here or is this just general human fuckery? Um, it, no, it's general human fuckery as far as oh, I'm aware. Oh, fair play. Although in the, in the TV miniseries, they um, imply that, there is a crow. Yeah, they imply that flag, you know. Had, no. had some doing in this. In the book, you, you meet this guard, whatever his fucking name is, as he gets home and tells his wife to pack and get the baby. Um, <laughs> Don't even name get it. Get the baby. Doesn't know his own Whoever kid's name. Is, I didn't read the script. But they don't just get the baby either. Like, you know, he grabs a baby and something else. There's like a box and he drops it and he takes the time to pick it up and get back in the car. And if he hadn't done that, he would have got through the gate. What was in that box? What was in the box? We'll never know. That was probably the the script. I was fucking running away with it. Absolute garbage. A guard escapes the lab, the, the garbage guard, and begins travelling across the country to his family home in East Texas, which is ironically what Stu is called. This is a nickname, which I kind of liked. Unintentionally spreading the virus along the way. On June 17th, he crashes his car into a gas station in the town of Arnett, where Stu Redman, played by Gary Sinise, and some friends have gathered. As the man lays dying, he warns Redman that he has been pursued by a dark man. The next day, <laughs> the US military arrives to quarantine the town. Right, opening of the film or miniseries. Thoughts on the opening team. Right. Um, where's Stu knocking about? So Stu's having a beer in a fucking petrol station. Yep. Yeah, with yeah in East Texas, yeah. Does, does that happen? Yeah. yeah, he's with him at the start. and then well, he, holds... he have a beer in a petrol station? He yeah, do you, not, smoke. you know you could do that in the UK as well, don't you? What do you mean? They sell beers everywhere in the UK. Well, you don't fucking... Like, it's not a fucking pub, is it? It's not no, a, a pub all, petrol station. They all no. hang out there as mates. Just, uh, just chilling out. To yeah. be honest, if that's where he's knocking about... He yeah. must be buzzing that everyone's been killed and he's now president of the world. I mean, he's done he's well. Ahead a little he's, bit, but... he's, yeah, he's skipped ahead. He's done well for himself, <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. Uh, Gareth, any thoughts over there? Uh, it's just shit, isn't it? All of this is shit. <laughs> yes. Correct. Um, the whole thing annoys me. He annoys me as a character. I know everybody says he's the best 
thing in it, but and he probably is, and he's shit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right, let's crack on. The townspeople are taken to a CDC facility in Vermont, and we all love the CDC because we saw lots oh, yeah. of that in The Walking Dead. All but Stu succumb to the super flu, which kills 99.4% of the world's population it's in two weeks. It is very precise. And super Stu. Super Stu with the super flu. The scattered survivors... Who, who knew? The scattered survivors include would-be rock star Larry Underwood, played by Adam Stork, deaf mute Nick Andros, played by Rob Lowe, Franny Goldsmith, played by Millie, Molly Ringwald, and her unborn child from Jesse, her boyfriend prior to the plague, her teenage neighbour Harold Lauder, Corin Nemec, that's who plays him, imprisoned criminal Lloyd Henride, <laughs> Miguel Ferreira, and trash can man, played by Matt Frewer, a mentally <clears throat> ill arsonist and scavenger. Right, that was a fucking lot of people to get through. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> You did well, mate. <sighs> right. The survivors <laughs> soon begin having visions. Eva, Eva from Kindly Mother Abigail, played by Ruby D. May she rest in peace. <laughs> or from the demonic Grandal flag, played by Jamie Sheridan, who I'm just <laughs> going to say right now, uh, we're going to come on to Randall Flag in this little se- segment here. But uh, we all know that the stand ha- is being remade. Uh, and Matthew McConaughey is reprising his role as the man in black or yeah. Randall Flag. Yeah. I was surprised uh, how... Similar, I think Matthew McConaughey will look to Jamie Sheridan in about yeah. twenty mm. years' time. Mm. Except for the mm. like weird, completely smooth chest and t- tiny like pot belly. What I mean, about? he is a very interesting-looking <laughs> man. He looks like a gargoyle in a way. So he looks like a female gargoyle. A fargoyle. Now yes. let's chat about Randall Flagg. He's a very important King character. He is, of course, the Man in Black from The Gunslinger, uh-huh. uh, which is amazing, by the way. So if you haven't started reading. The Dark Tower, or the first instalment, which Emma has begun. The Dark Tower is excellent, and Randall Flagg is one of the key characters there. However, he is in a lot of King novels, I think nine to be precise. Um, But guys, who knew that double denim looked so bloody good? I think you could give that a go, John, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, I have done. Go on. I wouldn't wear the same coloured denim. Oh. No, contrasting double denim. I think in the 90s... I think in the 90s that was the thing. Uh, Do you know what? I think he's quite a cool guy. He is quite charismatic, isn't he? Mm. And I think he definitely lifts the level of the show by him being in it and having so much character and charisma. He lifts it very, like, Oh. Fucking hell! Like he attempts to lift it. He does. He does try. Yeah, doesn't he, go anywhere. He does. Uh, he does very much try. Gives it a go. So um, in the book, um, up until probably about halfway, two thirds of the way through, Randall Flagg or the Dark Man, the or Man in Black. The ma- they don't call him the Man in Black. <clears throat> no, in the book. I know. I know. Sorry. They call him the me. Walking Man. Oh yes. But you don't get um, any descriptions of his face. You only get like this hooded cowled figure with bright mm. red eyes like similar, some kind of demon similar to the gunslinger then uh, yeah apart from when he rescues uh, Lloyd Henry at one point um, you do get a bit of a description of in his the face. prison yeah but predominantly you don't get anything about him until much much later on mm. so I was quite surprised that they just gave him a face immediately and then yeah. that weird <laughs> that weird devil face turned up oh devil face yeah what well, was that all about well that is interesting isn't it from yeah. 98 um, just a quick note here. Anyone who remembers our Castle Rock chats, and I'm hoping that most of you do, because that's how most of you started listening to us. Uh, we did mention Randall Flagg quite a few times and his ties to the Crimson King and how he might be influencing things in that series. We said this before, but the smiley face symbol is the calling card of Randall Flagg. He has uh, the buttons on his denim jacket here, which signify that. And in one or two of the flashbacks, he also has a sort of emoji smiley face. 
Um, it's interesting to note that we did mention during Castle Rock that when Zalewski drew all those smiley faces on the screens that we felt like someone could be manipulating uh, Zalewski to do these things. And I think it's interesting now watching this, seeing how Randall Flagg operates and the way he made characters like Harold later mm. on lose their way. He definitely is a very good manipulator of people and making them do things uh, under his will or the Crimson King's will. So it was just very interesting to link this back to Castle Rock, which is something we try and do with the adaptations that we cover in any way, shape or form. So I think this was a good bit of context for that. But what is... What is Randall Flagg's aim here? What's he trying to do? He is a purveyor of chaos and he wants to sort of essentially uh, achieve semi-deity sort of levels of control he he you know you. very much so it's, it's me i'm the podcast version of flag so oh so he's trying to he's trying to sort of you know rule rule a dominion over things all things <laughs> you know his his search for the tower and his his goals with that are very interesting and i do you know advise anyone to read the dark, read the dark tower series to get so much more insight into randall flag as a character but uh, I know what you mean, Gareth. Coming at this cold, it is difficult to know what his motivations are. But clearly, he just wants to rule the world. Mm. Yeah, don't we all? Don't we all? But you would, you would just turn around and go, "What's your fucking problem, mate?" Yeah, honestly. Well, no, he's got no. If you're not listened, he's got the smiley face button. On oh, his, sorry. Yeah, so he's clearly no, a sorry, fun. Yeah, he's a fun, was... quirky sort yeah. of guy. He oh, maybe. Sorry, I didn't see that smiley yeah. face. Yeah, didn't on your see jacket. it. Yeah. We talk about his opposite number. Yes, Mother Abigail. Yes. Well, if 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 he's. Um, the ying then she's the yang isn't she so yeah he's um she's impressive 106 years old very and impressive she bakes her own bread well, oh she does in the book she is 108 years old wow took two Why years off why did you fucking her? change it to 106 i just think it's so much more not realistic it? was it not yeah What's unrealistic to have her at 108 no she doesn't look 108 yeah, she's hundred and six. She's doing, <sighs> she's doing well. I have to say, I love the her guitar playing as well. Very melodic, very lovely, and the lovely hue that she always had over her farmyard. I found that to be very. Uh, Who's Hugh? Who is Hugh? One of the characters <laughs> that just randomly appears, John. Hugh actually, Grant. no, um, Hugh got the power back on. Oh, oh, knowledge. Oh, so Let's continue. The two sets of survivors are instructed in dreams to either travel to Nebraska to meet Abigail or to Las Vegas to join Flag. Sorry, you'd go Vegas, wouldn't you? You would go Vegas. 100%. I mean, it would just be chaotic and fun. I mean, you know, see what vibe you're in, but Las Vegas... Hello, I'm an old woman. Come to my crappy <laughs> farm with no internet. It's, uh, or Vegas. It, well, I'll go there. It's, it's like Hansel and Gretel, the way you just described it. Come into my little hut. <laughs> As their journey begins, Lloyd is freed from prison by Flag in exchange for becoming his second in command. Trashcan Man, the pyromaniac, destroys fuel tanks across the Midwest and is directed to Las Vegas. Can I tell you a little story about the Trashcan Man and what happens to him on his journey? You definitely can, the Trashcan Man, yes. Yeah. Trash can, I feel sorry for him, to be fair, because he was a little bit mad as a kid and he'd been locked up well, in a loony bin and he's well, gone to prison. We've all been bullied. Right, so on the way to Las Vegas... Not an excuse. He's Go not on. having a good time. He's riding a bicycle. The front wheel fell off. He's burnt off his arm up because he's been blowing shit up because, you know, pyromania. That's his own fault, crazy. but yeah, continue. Yeah. So he meets this guy uh, called The Kid, who is about four foot tall. Um, it looks like a tiny, like weird, greasy mini what? Elvis it, or something. Is it, is it Gareth? Oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you want to say that, guys, because you haven't heard the rest of the story yet. Oh, shit. Maybe he has. Oh, God. And then they spend a couple it. of days travelling together. And then, um, so The Kid is obsessed with Coors Light. <laughs> And he's like, Product he placement. loves cause. Weird. Mm. All of them drink cause. Other beers are available. Yeah. Not apparently in this. No. Nah. 
Cause um, they do. The kid gets us awful. Man. It's a lost cause. The kid yeah. gets absolutely um, <laughs> battered. And uh, and so the trash can man goes to sleep and he's like, it's all right, I'm safe and I'm warm and blah, blah, blah. Ooh. And then he wakes up uh, to the kid like spooning him, grabbing his hand and putting it on his knob. What do you mean? Oh. And what, who's... Grabbing the trash can man's hand and putting it on the kid's... The kid grabs his hand and puts it on his Little cock, winky, yeah. Right, and he goes... On his own cock? You know what to do. Yeah. He oh, does right, a bit. Okay. No, enough. he puts it... The kid grabs trash can hand's man and put it... Put hand and puts it on the <laughs> well, kid's... puts the rubbish man's hand on his own <laughs> On cock. the trash can man and the hand He makes and... trash can man jerk him off. Okay, right, right, right. fine, yeah, yeah. But oh. in the middle of it... Wank him off then. Uh, it's a very descriptive scene. In the middle of it, um, the kid, like, pulls down trash can man's pants and jeans yes and um and the, the <laughs> don't in, say yes like that the internal <laughs> the internal monologue of trash can man is like oh it's you know it's not so bad if that's what he wants to do anyway the, what the what kid do does mean? is not do that he go he shoves a gun up his ass oh, why is he doing says, that oh. if, you, if you don't do it properly um i will basically i'm going to shoot you at the bum and then he starts like <laughs> bumming him with the gun I whilst he's being jerked uh, off i mean can i have a can i ask a question why did they why do we all think they took that out of the of the four-part miniseries <laughs> but i felt the need to share it funny because no one else has fucking read it and i had to go through that just, i heard ed harris read for that role you know? originally but yeah. uh no sacked it off uh so grab very, my gun very good little piece i'm not grabbing your gun again very good uh <laughs> Uh, gone off. Oh God! Very good, Emma. I like that. That's why I bring you here for sordid sex tales from the books. I've got another one for the next sentence. You Excellent. Can, you can you can leave it at that. As they, uh, uh, right, okay. it's not about bumming. <laughs> it's not about bumming. Oh, good. Larry escapes New York City with a mysterious woman called Nadine Cross, played by Laura San Giacomo, who I recognise from other things. Mm. I think she's quite a good little actress. Oh, yeah. Despite their well, very much so. Despite their mutual attraction, Nadine is unable to consummate a relationship with Larry because of her visions of Flag, who commands her to join him. She leaves Larry to travel on her own. After escaping the CDC facility, Stu gathers a group of survivors, including Franny, Harold and Glenn Bateman, played by Way Walston, who are later joined by various other immune survivors. Mm. Discuss Emma's chomping at the bit for another sex tale. I have, I've got a sex tale, but it's not oh. really, it's not about bumming this time. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so Larry doesn't meet Nadine here. He meets Nadine later on. So instead of meeting Lucy and Joe, he meets Nadine and Joe. Joe Ooh. is creepy as fuck. The kid, yes. He meets Rita in New York, who is like a 65-year-old widow. He doesn't go there, does he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Larry. Yeah. Oh. Larry. So they spend a few days in her apartment and the smell of the like dead people gets a bit too much. Oh. She does pop pills and then they go through the tunnel together. That's not the sexy bit. Oh. Um, That's not a euphemism. That's not a euphemism. One morning after they've had great sex, apparently the night before, he goes out, um, out of the tent, comes back in to find that she's committed suicide in the middle of the night. Larry, Larry, Larry. He made her top herself. You know what I like about Larry, and just let's talk about Larry after he topped himself. After he topped himself for a brief moment, Larry's one of my favourite characters in this. I thought he was going to be a bad guy, and he ends up being just quite a nice guy. And I quite liked his his character turn during this whole series, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, And I thought he was one of the stronger performers actually in this show. Why did you think he was going to be a bad guy? It, well, he was being warned all the time to stay away from the man in black or the, mm. you know, or Randall Flag. So I, I got the impression that he would be one whose soul could be swayed. He was very much on a, on a knife edge and it could mm. go either way. But it just turned out that he made the right decision, made best friends with Stu, who's one of my other favourite characters. And I really liked that sort of bromance <clears throat> that they had going on a bit later I don't know on. If they did, when? Did they? When? Well, when? When did that happen? <laughs> That's the thing. Like, they, they, oh, I, do, 
the characterization is ridiculous. They had like at the end they have um they have him being this kind of wise cracking um like you know, clever, quick witted. He's but he's never does that in at any point in the show. And then suddenly they're like, Hey, funny boy, get into the car and it's like he's not a funny boy. He's never been a funny boy. That hasn't <laughs> happened. Why is he he's so they're all shit he's fucking shit and his song is shit and then they keep singing it throughout the 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 series and it's a piece of shit song as well but as the group travelled towards Nebraska Harold played by Gareth Evans is consumed with jealousy over Stu's leadership of the group and his growing relationship with Franny on whom Harold has an unrequited crush meanwhile Nick makes his way across the Midwest eventually meeting Tom Cullen a mentally challenged man. Now, this oh, is Tom. where we're going to play a little clip for what I'm calling the worst scene of all time. Lovely music, by the way. Very calming. Hey, dude. I'm a big idiot. <laughs> <laughs> This is just the audio. <laughs> this is just the audio version. You can hear the bike coming up. So, hey, Mister, it's gonna happen. <laughs> Can't you hear me? <laughs> oh. Hey, Mister, watch out! <laughs> <laughs> Holy cheese! Genuinely. At this point, tumble, at this point, I thought the acting lungs. is so bad in this that it is kind of fun. I'm sorry if I scared you. Know what I mean, you, Mr. like you scared at me this point, too. it was heading for a three blueberry because of this terrible acting. <laughs> it's been awful sad with everyone gone. Dead. They're dead. <laughs> like I think they killed themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Flu didn't even touch that. Decoration is my hobby. <laughs> they were actually in. That spells hobby. No. Do you want to go on up the street to the drugstore and, and get a band aid? Fuck off, you creepy cunt. What is that? Like Steven. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon everyone's pretending to be dead. Sure, don't talk much, dead, do you? I'm sorry, mister, I can't read. John? <laughs> <laughs> I don't Just read too so little good. words is all. I went to school, I made it to the third grade, but that kind of What is our equivalent of the third I, grade? I could read some curious five. when I left, Jesus. but since then I kind of forgot. What is going on in this bit? He's writing stuff down. I'm sorry, mister, I don't get you. He's, do, he's doing the thing where he covers his mouth and his ears. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which is quite this, is, this is brilliant, though, that <laughs> the, guy, well, the guy who can only communicate by writing is brought together junk. with the, the only man who can't That's read writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, my daddy was always joking around. I got him, mister! Oh, wait. I got it! You're just like old Albion Packalot's hired man. Tom Cullen knows what that is. M-O-O-N. That spells deaf and dumb. Oh, I can't listen to this anymore. Oh, let's stop it there. That's just, that's just, that's beautiful, everybody. And that is... 
that was one of our favourite scenes. I'm going to nominate it for my favourite scene of the year, just for sheer hilarity. I couldn't <laughs> believe what I was watching. And, you know, I think we should talk about Tom Cullen's character, because I think it's a very interesting interpretation of a mentally challenged man, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, his haircut is ludicrous. Mm. Ludicrous. It's just an insult, isn't it? Boris Johnson. I found it. I found it to be. (laughs) I I mean, I don't know, but I found it to be quite an insulting take on someone who is mentally challenged. Mm. Um, I found it was so over the top to the point where they dressed him in those, you know, dungarees and in the silly outfit. He looked like, you know, the the doll from Child's Play, just grown up with a fucking bold, blonde cut. Or did it remind you a bit of um, of Mice and Men, Lenny? Yeah, well, that's what they're going for. Yeah, that's what they're going for. And with Gary Sinise as well, it's a bit too fucking close to the bone. It is a bit close to the bone. I found found it to be a bit too much. However, Tom Tom Cullen was one of my favourite characters in the miniseries, to be fair. And as John uh, was speaking about in our, you know, pre-record conversations, (laughs) uh, probably the... One of the top, one of the top uh, actors in the show, would you say, John? Yeah, I mean, it's it annoys me saying it to be honest, because um, he, I mean, he's still a shambles. Yeah, well, I um, think he's meant to be a shambles, though. <laughs> no, I the the guy. I mean, has he done anything <clears throat> since? If if you Google, yes, that, I'll uh, tell you what he's done. I'll Sponge tell you what he's Bob, done. Other than SpongeBob, oh. but it's just like, does that count? Yeah, yeah. Because SpongeBob's he, awesome. He's Patrick. He's Patrick, which yeah. is basically oh, the underworld equivalent of yeah, Tom Cullen. Yeah, he's not SpongeBob, fucking hell. What's the point in this guy? Um, uh, I'm talking about the actor at this point, but it's uh, <laughs> it, it is a bit of an insult. Like, okay, he's a bit slow, and um, when I say a bit slow, he's fucking very slow. Yeah, but it's just like it is over the top, terrible clothes, terrible hair. Um, I don't know what this M O O N is uh, is a constant. Like, okay, yeah, why is that? It has like... a nice narrative um, angle, I think, yeah, in yeah. in in the the material, just because of Flag's obviously psychic ability and able to read exactly what the the Free Zone Boulder Group are doing. <clears throat> it's a very nice angle, I think, and a reveal when he's like, "All I can see is the moon," <clears throat> and I found that to actually be quite a powerful little reveal, which which made it worth all of the suffering that we had to go through to get to that point, to be honest with you. He, he becomes a bit too self-aware, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he says, I'm a bit slow or whatever. Mm. He's too self-aware. Like, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, true. Um, Skynet. I actually thought he was almost too intelligent and grown up <laughs> in Sorry? the TV oh. series. Compared, <laughs> to, compared to the character in the, in the book, who I always envisaged as like... A teenager, mm. not a grown man, mm. and he very was, big man. He was not this bright. <laughs> very big man. That's what I'm saying. He's, he's literally. Pervert. He's just. He's just missing. Yeah, that's disgusting. He's missing. He's missing one of those hats with a little propeller on it. Like, that's <laughs> the only thing. That he oh God! Complete the look. Right, shall we? Um, sh- I'm with oh. M O O N. No, <laughs> make any sense, mate? I'm with M O O N. Oh, let's continue. The two men, and this is obviously talking about Tom and our boy Nick, who are the odd couple, some could say, encounter... Isn't Nick offensive as well? Yeah, massively. The way that he plays a deaf and dumb person is awful. It must be offensive. And the interesting thing about that um, acting choice is Rob Lowe is actually deaf in one ear. 
So he does suffer. What? He he suffers from some form he of was hearing. He's saying he's deaf in one ear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he suffers from some form of hearing disability. So it's a, that's why they got him to play that role. He was originally supposed oh, to be. It, no, it is. He was originally met, he auditioned to play Stu, and they said yeah. and he wasn't good enough to play. It, and they so. said we'll, we'll make you Nick Andros. That is a hundred percent what happened. So uh, do you do your research, team? I have done my research. Very good. They just said, look, do you want to do this one instead? They wanted to cast Rob Logue. He at the time he was quite young, and he's he was part of that like brat pack in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah. And they thought, oh, actually, this would be really good. We'll cast him as a deaf mute because he's quite cool, isn't he? And he's he deaf isn't. in one ear. Uh, and they went, oh, actually. And he went, actually, I'm deaf in one ear. And they went, what? And he went, what? And they went. Oh, <laughs> uh, All right, okay. <laughs> the two men. Let's continue. The two men encounter Julie Laurie, played by Shawnee Smith, a vicious girl who vows to kill them when they refuse to let her join them. She's she's a bit of a nutcase, isn't she? What do you um What do you think happens in the book, guys? I don't know. I hope she, hopefully, she's killed immediately. She's terrible. Yeah, her scream was the worst scream of all time. Inserting scream now. <laughs> yes, but, it was awful. Again, she's an actress who's done like other things. Yeah, she's in like Becca, isn't she? So um, in the book, um, he goes in to get the Pepto-Bismol for, for Tom and mm. um, Nick walks in. She is standing there like a statue, like a weirdo. Yeah. And um, then she realises that he's deaf and mute. He writes yeah. down his name and then they just have sex. I'm, so so, that, so, so do you know what annoyed yeah. me, actually, to be honest with you, completely legitimately annoyed me that he just didn't go for it there. Well, he did in the book. And, yeah. and he did in the book. So well played, Nick Andros. That has redeemed your character slightly because I thought you were a bit all over the place character-wise. You know, one minute slapping a woman, the next yeah. minute, you know, shooting someone. You know, a bit all over the place. I felt <laughs> I felt he needed to have sex there to really release some tension. Oh, and I'm happy yeah. that his book counterpart did. So well done. His character has improved in my eyes. Eventually, Nick's group reaches Abigail's farm in Hemingford Home, Nebraska. She warns that a great conflict is imminent and they must all travel to Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. There, the survivors form a new community called the Boulder Free Zone, where they begin restoring civilization. So what I found baffling about this is they all get to the, the house and then they go to Boulder, Colorado. Out of nowhere, literally a convoy of about a million people just turn up out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah. It is yes. crazy, and, isn't it? But but what's even more ridiculous than that, even more ridiculous than the fact that just, yeah, oh yeah, here's a convoy, millions of them. The next episode starts and they're nowhere to be seen. That convoy's <laughs> vanished. And they, the convoy turns up in a different part of Boulder yeah. 20 minutes into the, the second episode. I, I think, Gaz, what they're going for there, and I've been thinking about this quite a lot, about the inconsistencies between episodes, characters randomly appearing, which we will discuss now. I think what they're going for is this idea that this is a sprawling story and you just pick these people up along the way and they're not massively important. There are a couple of important characters who just get completely washed over and then end up being quite central in some respects. But uh, the things like the convoy, I think that was meant to be a separate convoy. I think you're kind of picking up on the impression that there are multiple convoys arriving at this Boulder Free Zone Mm. and multiple survivors streaming into Las Vegas. And it takes some people a lot longer to get there because, you know, there are different conflicts, of different arrangements, different groups of characters together. So I I think that's what they're going for. However, it does come across as gross miscontinuity. Mm. And I think that is a problem that, that, you know, is is very evident when you watch this back 20 years later Mm. well even next episode later i I stopped 
and went back to the last episode to I check was like, the character, see if you'd missed a I scene. Was like, Obviously, I fell asleep during that bit. Yeah. Um, or hopefully, I just died during that <laughs> bit. So I didn't have to watch the rest of it. When you were but, sleeping, did you dream of Randall Flagg, like <laughs> consummate, consummating your. So. I just dreamt of it was Randall Flag in Vegas, but all I could hear was <laughs> fucking M O O N. So it doesn't really matter, does it? But, um, uh, yeah, just fucking confusing. Like very confusing, and, and I do agree that is a criticism that that should be levelled at it because I I just think they took liberties with the is idea. Is that what stopped it from getting a five? It is, mate. Review? Yeah, that's the one that knocked it down <laughs> from a five. Well, um, fair. It is very fair. Flag sets up an autocratic regime in Las Vegas with the intent of defeating the bolder survivors using salvaged nuclear weapons. <laughs> very interesting plan. Franny feels increasing anxiety because she's unsure whether her baby will be immune to the superflu. Now, this is really interesting because, um, oh, obviously, her baby is fathered by a, a non survivor, a dead immunist. A, a dead and. One of them dead ones. Um, and. Walk, walking dead. Talk. Yes. Um, in the book, there is um, so when the doctor arrives, because for a mm. while they only have a veterinarian and a nurse. Still useful though. So very good. He was a great useful. veterinarian when he moved his skills to people. He did very well. Very good. Um, Hello everyone. I'm a veterinarian and a doctor. On Transposable the way, he's helped a a woman um, deliver two twins who'd both died. Yeah. Jesus. And Franny had heard about this and got into a massive panic. And um, nice. and actually, like you know, big thing at this point, there are. F- I think in the book it says there's something like forty-two pregnant women, nine of mm. which fell pregnant before For, the flu yeah. from a non-immuna. Mm. Terrifying. It yeah. is. It is it's a terrifying concept, and and it's interesting as well from the angle. And we'll come on to it at the end of the the plot synopsis. But it's interesting from the angle of rebuilding. What is the point if all yeah. the babies are going to die? You, there's no guarantee that the immune gene will be passed on necessarily, even between two immune no. people. So that is a very interesting concept it's that I think not hereditary. No, I think that's an interesting concept that they they really do play around with. Um, I was going to talk about Stu being a doctor because he he wasn't a veterinarian. He just got pissed at gas stations all the time, and then he's performing appendicitis surgery on some guy on the floor. <laughs> so that happened out of nowhere. Yeah, so there is preamble yeah. to that in the book. Yeah, they fanny around for ages, deciding he's going to do it. Fanny around, do they? they fanny <laughs> around. Yeah. Um, and Stu's the only one brave enough to give it a try because the poor guy's fucking dying. That's oh, fuck that. He's a leader. Okay. Uh, do you know what? Oh, that's just arrogant. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'll give it a go. Blood all over him. He's dead. Like, <laughs> that's arrogant. Gave him a best shot, but... Mm. Yeah. I uh, like that guy. Let's make him president. Like, <laughs> doesn't make sense. Uh, let's continue. What was his job beforehand? His job was standing around drinking beer at a petrol station. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> Overqualified, if anything, Gareth. Overqualified. So, Harold's resentment towards Stu and Franny intensifies, causing him to be seduced by Nadine, and let's face it, who wouldn't be, and join join forces with Flag. Definitely, she could seduce all three of us males here, and probably Emma. Probably Emma. Already had her. Oh, Abigail, convinced that she has fallen into the sin of pride, this is Mother Abigail, leaves Boulder to walk in the wilderness. Three Boulder survivors are chosen to infiltrate Las Vegas. Tom, Dana, Dana Dana Jurgens, who is a completely new character to us here um, (laughs) at this point, which is ridiculous, uh, and Judge Farris. I like the judge. They hypnotise Tom to follow a set of instructions, including that he leave Las Vegas at the next full moon. I mean, this is ridiculous as well, to be honest. But but what we've done 
is we've skipped over, just like the show did, we've skipped over the fact that they did manage to rebuild society. <laughs> it just appeared again. They're all having a committee meeting. The whole committee meeting is annoying as well. Like everybody just standing around like it's a, like they just live in small town America. Yeah. And it's, you know, the weekend before Thanksgiving and they're yeah. just having a chat and like, yeah, oh, here we go. And <laughs> no, like if we're, you're in dire straits and you've just turned up at this town you don't know who that guy is standing up there pretending to be your leader. Why has he been nominated? Uh, but Mother Abigail, what she did was she submitted a list of names of people that she felt should be on the committee. Oh, fuck that. She's 108 years old. She's yeah, a but, bread maker. That's yeah. about it. Like, I'm not, oh, I dreamt of some old woman and now I'm going to listen to her. She's fucking Why are you old, dreaming about mate? old women, mate? It's what I do, boy. Fair enough. But no, he is right. Like... I, I tell you what I hate about that scene. Yeah. The enthusiasm. Like, they are yep. buzzing. Like, <laughs> Jesus has come and saved them. Like, I can understand them going crazy for the guy that gets electric back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love that. Yeah, nominate extra. him. Yeah. Um, so this charge. is the guy that's got, that's got us electric back. Stephen. Oh, yeah. hi, guys. And everyone's like, wow, yeah, all right. Like, yeah, good. Yeah. Make him the king of the world. He's useful. Not Stu. He's got a fucking death on his hands. Like, yeah. What they, do, <laughs> what they do before that is he stands up and, you know, like they give him a little warm round of applause, as you would. But then he tries to speak and the microphone goes all f- feedbacky. And he goes, I guess we'll have to get used to this again. And everybody <laughs> erupts in laughter and cheers. And cl- oh, yes, no, no, Bell. Gareth, my favourite line after that is someone like nudges someone in the crowd and goes... He's a natural, any. <laughs> it would have been funny if the person just went, "Who are you? Don't nudge me." <laughs> it's, it's, it's Nick. It's Nick. He writes it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he writes it to get. Oh, it's too good yeah. to be true. He's a natural. He's a natural. <laughs> okay, let's crack on because we've got a lot to get through. Harold and Nadine plant a bomb in Franny and Stu's home planning to set it off during a meeting of the Free Zone Council. So just to clarify, the only reason that Harold is doing this is he's getting blowjobs every single day, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> and thumbsets. Yeah. Oh, is that? Maybe. Is oh, is it? Explicitly. Oh, wow. Fair play, have- Harold. You do what you've got to do, son. A week and Abigail returns to town and gives a psychic warning to the council members at the meeting. The warning allows most of the council members to escape the explosion, but Nick is killed. That is sad. I actually do like Nick. Mm. Before, uh, before she passes away, Abigail tells Stu, Larry, Glenn, Franny and fellow council member Ralph Brentner that they <laughs> must travel to Las Vegas. Just throwing in Ralph there for the moment. Mm. Las Vegas to confront Flag. When Nadine and Harold flee, Flag causes Harold to be seriously injured in a motorcycle accident. <laughs> that was hilarious. Mm. Um, and yeah. just yeah. deserved. Although, let's just say he had a lot of enjoyment before he went out. So yeah, he's done all right. To he's, be fair. he's done all right for himself. He to be fair, like, but he's just a confusing character anyway. Like, yeah. he's a bit of a nerd, and he's dressed like a nerd. He's and he, then suddenly he's in full leather getup, and then at the town's meeting, he's dressed as like some oil we? baron. Like, what's <laughs> going on here? Is he watching that? Getting these clothes? There will be no he's blood. Just searching for You've an got a milkshake. Oh, I've got a milkshake. <laughs> So in the book, he um, he starts off as a fat, spotty, unwashed teenager who is teased because he always wanks in his pants, apparently. Oh, God. <clears throat> Wash the boy. And then eventually... Well, that sounds more like me. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, guys, but thanks for doing it for me. I'd rather mess my pants than the sulphur. 
<laughs> I mean, that is fair, actually. It's descending into that. chaos. Um, but it's only after he finds out about Fran and, and Stu, which yeah. happens a little bit later on in the book, that suddenly he starts to do like loads of work and lose weight and get rid of his spots because he's not eating his fucking chocolate bars all the time. Aww. And I think that's what they're trying to demonstrate, but they haven't got like a fat <laughs> oh, actor and a skinny yeah. actor. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, yeah. Shit. Interesting yeah. take. He kind of reminds me of sort of, um, you know, Marty McFly's dad when he travels back yes. to 1950s. I, I, I wrote down George McFly. George McFly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He, that's exactly back, right. Bang on what he is. Dweeby. Uh, but then turns evil and blows people up. So look, don't try and change the past, y'all. He kills himself with a gun the next day. So see you later, Harold. You're dead. Flag calls Nadine to him. She tries to escape and tells him no, no. She tells him no. No. When he wants to consummate their relationship. Flag tells her it's too late to say no and forces himself on her. Nadine is unresponsive following the attack by Flag and coincidentally is also it, it was rape. Yeah. He also impregnates her with a demon baby. So mm. that happened. Fucking hideous. Hideous, hideous concept. Okay. And it was actually although Nadine is obviously a bit of a dickish character, um, I did feel extremely sorry for her because she was just completely yes. duped the whole time. Mm. So sad for her but she has an even sadder ending upon returning to las vegas an increasingly unstable flag finds dana and dana just to remind everyone is one of the spies that was sent to sort of infiltrate the las vegas community and report back to the boulder community (laughs) she successfully kills herself rather than giving up any information now this is interesting because during this scene we get the idea that randall flag is a psychic he knows certain pieces of information and this is where we get the reveal of m-o-o-n and he only sees Moon, so he doesn't know who the third spy is. Which Do you like that? I liked it, personally. Mm, I do. I, I like it as a sort of, uh, as I said, a reveal to that ridiculous thing that we kept getting read. Sort of, but also, like, you'd be a bit like, who's this random massive guy that's turned up with terrible <laughs> hair and clothes that keeps on saying M-O-N? I'm just going to fucking hit over the head with a shovel cause oh. doing me because the story that he's been told to give is that he's I'm not a spy. slightly mentally behind and they're afraid that he might have sex with someone and yeah. make have and make, babies that aren't uh, right, the full yeah, yeah. Yeah. basket. And that, and, brutal, right? uh, Yeah, that was brutal. And when yeah. you're rebuilding civilization, that, you know, <laughs> to someone like Flag, that might seem quite believable or, mm. or those sorts of characters that are sort of in his autocratic regime, they might believe that to be quite believable. So interesting stuff there. So Dana kills herself. Judge Farris, bless him, who's on the way, is um, he's meant to be captured, but he gets killed. Flag goes a bit mental and sort of eats the guys that kill him. Mm. Spot is, on to the book. Which, fair enough. That. Fair enough. That's absolutely fair and good. I'm glad that they're following the source text so religiously, some could bit say. Bit of a weird gunfight, that, wasn't it? Well, the other guy shoots the other guy in the back. It was bizarre. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, and then goes over to him. He's like, hey, don't worry, he's dead now. Uh, oh, what? <laughs> You've killed him, you idiot. Do you not remember that? Oh, very good. Um, Tom leaves Las Vegas when the M-O-O-N is full, but Julie recognises him. Julie is the crazed woman that tried to kill him and Nick. uh, The scream woman. This this woman, this woman here. She tries to alert Flag, but Tom escapes into the desert and hides from Flag and his men. Shortly afterwards, a crazed Nadine taunts Flag and commits suicide with the unholy fetus he conceived in her. What is... What is the point in Shawnee Smith's character recognizing, um, recognizing thing? Tom, the only, the only, well, the only thing I can think of is it makes Flag obviously lose his mind, and it's sort of then, you know, he's starting to obviously crumble. His control over everything is starting to crumble, and this is another incident where he and and that 
this losing his temper scene is also the scene where he lose, lets his guard down in a way and Nadine is able to kill herself. So there is a plot point to it. Otherwise, he'd be very vigilant, but he's so enraged at what's just happened that the Dean sees an opportunity to kill herself. It's also... Um trying to prove the point that he can't he isn't all powerful yes. and he is losing control because he can't see this third spy and it makes people doubt in him so you there is a tiny scene where Whitney um tells Lloyd Henry that he's leaving yeah. with a few mates that's yeah. because they don't believe that Randall Flagg is as powerful it, as they thought uh, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so that's kind of doubt. part of it yeah you never want to you know fear is the way he's keeping control and he's starting to lose that fear yeah which is which is quite an interesting concept as well uh with winter fast approaching Stu, larry glenn and ralph leave boulder to set out on their quest however as mother abigail mother abigail predicted one would fall by the wayside and who would believe that it would be Stu who breaks his leg Whoa. and must stay behind this is this is my favorite scene of the entire series. <laughs> it is so bad like john references student movies quite a lot if this happened in a student movie i'd be like Right, come on. Let's 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 think about this. He manages to climb up to the top of this tiny hill. Yeah, tiny. Like, it is tiny as well. I have to say, there's there's this Gareth. I'm not. I'm not. There is this. There's like slopes that are so easy to walk up. It's hilarious. <laughs> Glenn and can do it. So, yeah. but yeah. there's all this. There's all this dramatic music when he like yeah. he grabs hold of one bit of like tree root and it slips and like whoa 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 whoa. oh he's okay (laughs) what was gonna happen if he slipped he was gonna just go oh man i'll just go around then not only do they like overblow the 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 intensity of the scene but he makes it to the top yeah he actually makes it to the top and then he's bloody showboating isn't he yeah showboating (laughs) he's made it up there piece of cake (laughs) and this fall is so Whoa. so bad it was hilarious <laughs> and i was just surprised that it was Stu that got left behind i was certain it was going to be glenny boy uh the remaining three though are captured by flags but, forces go on okay but can i just say the, the scene where he's like yeah you know abigail did say one of us was gonna have to stay behind so yeah uh, the whole argument they have that larry's like no he's we're not leaving him he's gonna have to come like, it's almost the reverse. Like, Stu should be like, no, I'm fucking coming with you guys. Like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, but instead, he's like, <laughs> nah, fuck up. it, I'm here now. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's baffling. Would you rather stay behind with Kojak? Um, well, yeah, but or I'm would a, you like to go worm. to Las Vegas to see He's the supposed devil. to be the fucking hero. He's, he's meant the to be president. the future leader Imagine of the that. world. Imagine if this was like, I don't know, like Predator. And Arnie was just like, oh, fuck this. And just left 20 minutes into the film. Yeah. Great. Like, what's going on here? What is... Yeah. Anyway, good point, John. With the three... Me- the, the remaining three are captured by Flagg's forces. Glenn is separated from Larry and Ralph. Flagg orders Lloyd to kill Glenn after he taunts Flagg. Love that scene, by the way. That is a pathetic free, though, isn't it? it the, the, going there, yeah. yeah. But I did love... <laughs> so good, shit. Yeah. But Glenn... There is a moment when they, like... They pan across, like, as they're walking down the street, and they pan across each of them, and it's just so <laughs> underwhelming. Like, imagine if it was, imagine if it was the three of us. Yeah, it's just me, like some guy John with Len. his uncle and his grandfather. I like, think, that's it. That, I think that's kind of the idea, is the idea that these are just completely regular people who are doing this monumental task, and it's the idea that faith 
is so powerful that it doesn't matter if you're an old man, an overweight uncle, or his nephew walking through <laughs> the desert. You are in trouble. Like that, that mean, is that is the idea. Is the strategy, though. I mean, fuck. But there isn't hell. meant to be a strategy. All that Mother Abigail said to do was, "You are going to be captured." You know, she makes bread. She does. And she is <laughs> she's literally a baker. That is, <laughs> why are we taking our orders from a baker? <laughs> Uh, so Glenn's dead because he taunts Flag, which I really liked as a scene. And Glenn, to be fair, put in a solid performance as an actor and I thought was one of the best characters. Probably the best actor in the show. Probably, yeah. He uh, was one of my favourite characters in the book, actually. He, he's great. And he's, you know, I like his the cut of his jib. As Larry and Ralph endure a show trial on Fremont Street, which is in Las Vegas, Trash Can Man arrives. They're about to be dismembered, by the way, which is quite interesting. This is where, for me... <laughs> The quite interesting story slightly falls apart. Trash Can Man arrives with a stolen nuclear weapon. Flag is unable to stop a spectral hand from detonating the bomb as the voice of Abigail declares that God's promise has been kept, Las Vegas is destroyed, and Flag is apparently killed. What is the point in the quest? Like, I know that's what gets God's hand going. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think you can talk about God that way, to be honest with you. (laughs) But... In the end, it really is pointless. Like, they they get there and do nothing. Like, Trash Can Man could have just come with a nuclear bomb and set that off. Mm. That's, that's all that needed to happen. The, them going on their little adventure, like, Homeward Bound, is irrelevant really it doesn't achieve anything i think spies don't achieve anything nothing nobody achieves anything um their sacrifice is what makes god do what he does essentially like that that is that that is the plot point there gareth unfortunately i know you don't like it their ability to stand up in front of this tyranny in front of you know (laughs) and have their faith tested is the evidence that I would have, this is the way I'm interpreting it, that God needs to take action and save the people that are remaining in Boulder Free Zone because that is essentially the recreation of civilization, the 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 renewed faith in God or another higher being. I should have um, had like God's voice just be like, now I will do stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, then- they, well they, did have, <gasps> they did have Mother Abigail's voice, which I felt was very ridiculous, mm. um, personally. Yeah, she is God. Did we all think that the ending was lame? Yes. Very lame. The whole thing is lame, mate. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, but the ending is just like, okay. But that's not the end, is it? That isn't the end. What? That isn't the end because there's another 20 minutes. That John was raging that he still had to watch. Another 20 oh, minutes after that? Stu, who has been chilling out with Kojak. <laughs> Stu who's chilling out with Kojak is, you know, rescued by Tom, who's making his way back. He's taken to a nearby cabin to heal his leg as winter sets in. But also he does seem to have some sort of flu, which is quite an interesting... Mm. Because he's right. Tom arrives after the bomb's gone off <laughs> and he's like all sweaty and weird and throwing up and right. stuff. But his teeth and his hair don't fall out. So. Oh, right. Okay, fair play. When they're, when they're in their little shack in um, Green River, uh, which I think Credence, Credence Clearwater Revival sang about once. <laughs> um, but uh, they... Tom's there and suddenly he fully understands death as a concept, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like, you, you, you have to eat this or you're going to die. Whereas before he was like, oh, yeah, everybody's gone off to Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> but, but, Gareth, that's exactly what happens in a story like this. You have serious character growth and that is some character growth for our boy Tom. Uh, they eventually return to Boulder in the midst of a blinding snowstorm. Franny gives birth to a baby, which is determined to have super flu. But the infant survives. Yay! <laughs> well, this is stupid as well. 
oh god the baby's come early and it's got the flu oh wait no it doesn't actually it's fine yeah assured that the immune survivors can safely reproduce the inhabitants of boulder set to work rebuilding the world <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> john, i really enjoyed the end of the film you would do wouldn't you You'd just be running around cock hanging out just going mental <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord uh, and that is the crass that you get on this podcast everybody but no very true john you're right you 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 would be having a good time <laughs> <laughs> oh, anything to, uh, I mean the, the end of the film I felt was quite sweet and the fact that civ- the fact that civilization God. is being rebuilt I was no, very happy didn't. about that you didn't think it was sweet surely you thought it was shit it was so <laughs> now I'm going to back Len up here in that having just read the book and I really enjoyed it I did think they did the ending quite nicely yeah I thought the ending was alright um, although did the baby die because I didn't see it again fucking hell yeah they just couldn't be bothered to use a child actor. Fair. And that, everyone, was The Stand. Has anyone got anything else to add on The Stand? I think John is going to kill someone if we continue talking about it any longer. It was, for me, obviously, as I said, reminiscent of me watching it as a much younger, a, at a much younger age. And uh, I did enjoy it, actually, this time around, just for the laughs and to see the story again. And I'm very excited for the adaptation that is being done with Matthew McConaughey reprising his role as Randall Flagg. Mm. I think that has got a lot of potential if they do it correctly. I'm not 100% on the network that's purchased it, but let's imagine it was someone like HBO. I think something like this... <laughs> Definitely could, not. Could you imagine? I think they could do something... I think they could do something very, very good with the with the source material. I think they could really, really well, do that. it justice. I don't know about the source material, but the concept is fine. You know me, mate. I love all that, like, apocalyptic, the world's fucked. Yeah. What I don't like is people not really taking it that seriously. Yeah. And then suddenly it's like, all right, well, why why are we all fighting? What's going on? Yeah. Why am I now, why am I, why is this guy with double denim, like, my leader? Because, what, I don't want to follow some old little old woman. Baker. And why am I following her anyway? Like... It's garbage, man. <laughs> I think the um, I think the remake has great potential because the story is fantastic, and I mm. think it, what this also suffers from somewhat uh, is a distinct lack of budget or talent or care and time. <laughs> and I think if they're you, yeah, important factors. But I think if you had the money <laughs> to really do it properly instead of that fucking awful Ghostbusters hand of God at the end, um, <laughs> that wasn't the main issue of this. <laughs> no, but it's my main point. Um, and you had like a 10 episode 10 hour series to do it you could oh, I'm really, not doing that I think you could really do it justice because mm. it is an amazing story it is an amazing story and uh, what's left to do now is just to sit on it stew on it a little bit and really digest what we've just seen because we have rushed to see it and then talked about it maybe john will let us know his thoughts in a couple weeks time when we come back after christmas maybe he'll change his position on it probably not but uh i really enjoyed it emma enjoyed the source material gaz and john hated it but i know gareth that you did enjoy it a little bit because you were laughing with me talking about it before we recorded so that's lovely and to everyone else i want to say thank you uh to listening to us this year it's been amazing castle rock was brilliant and also the stephen king adaptations have been very fun it's like a little film club that we've got going on and we really appreciate everyone's involvement in it if you would like to get in touch with us with your thoughts on the stand or the shining which we'll be covering in the new year then please do get in touch with us you can email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com that is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com we always respond to emails we love to receive them you can also reply to any of our social media posts we are fan underscore critical on instagram at fancriticalpod on twitter 
Twitter, and we're just fan critical on Facebook. Let us know your thoughts on The Stand. Let us know your thoughts on The Shining and anything else, Stephen King, or what you would like us to cover in the new year. There's lots of time to go until season two of <laughs> Castle Rock comes out. We're in it for the long haul, guys. So I want to say thank you to our very own Tom Cullen in John. Cheers, mate. Uh, thanks, listeners. I couldn't stand doing this, to be honest. Ooh, couldn't but, stand. But I do it for you guys. He, he does. And M-O-O-N spells bye. That's right, John. Yes, well done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to say bye to Mother Abigail. Bye. Car- Fucking hell. Bye, child. That's what you should say. That's, that's what she. What you that's done, what yeah. she would do. And uh, I want to say bye to little horny Harold over there who got some good Nadine loving before blowing his own brains out. Yeah, I'll take it because of the Nadine loving. Yeah, that's it. Fair. <laughs> Yeah, I thought you would. And on that note, have a great Christmas, guys. We're obviously releasing a lot more fan-critical content just before then, but this is it for the Castle Rock channel for the rest of the year. Mm. Thank you so much, and see you in the new year. Or just switch over to fan-critical. It's also very good. Bye! Bye! Bye. Bye.